Hey friend, I just want to take a quick moment to let you know about something we offer here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Now listen, Nothing Is Wasted is not just this podcast that you've been enjoying, full of stories of hope and healing in the midst of difficult and painful valleys. We're also a ministry with unending resources that can help you move forward on your healing journey from whatever pain you've experienced in life. We've got the Pain to Purpose course, masterclasses, curated pathways around specific pain points, an online community, and so much more. But if you're just getting started on the path of healing and you're interested in learning more about how you can even begin to untangle your pain, I want to invite you to our free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call. I'll be there live and I'll just be sharing some practical steps that you can take right here, right now to move from the hurt and trauma you've walked through and into deeper healing. You and I will be able to engage with each other. You'll be able to ask questions and learn what it looks like to start taking back your story. Now, it's completely free, but it may just be the step that God uses to begin in you a journey of deeper hope and healing no matter what you faced. All you got to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And join me as a first step to taking back your story no matter what you've gone through. Now, listen, there is very real pain and loss that is threatening to keep you discouraged and despairing, but it doesn't have to be that way. Let me give you some practical hope that I've learned in my own pain and suffering after losing my wife, Amanda, in 2015. I found that the only way out of despair is going right through it, and life is too short to stay in your pain. We don't want to waste this. So I want to invite you to join me for our next free live Zoom call by signing up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And let the healing journey begin in your life. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn. And joining me, we have a guest host, Amy <laughs> Sylvester. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be here with you. Yeah, Amy, <laughs> you were featured on episode, do you remember what episode that was off the top of I, your head? Yeah, it was 175. Episode 175. And yeah. uh, one of the reasons that you know exactly what episode it was off the top of your head, not just because <laughs> you were a guest and because you're like, oh, that was a very special moment, but because you're on staff with us and... You carry so many different roles. You were probably the one editing your own episode. If you know, I mean, that's a joke, but you were at least probably doing something along with your episode. You came on staff shortly after that episode, and I did. Uh, tell us a little bit about just so our our community, uh, many many people are going to know who you are, but so that everyone can be caught up to speed as to what you do, who you are. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here, Davey, because I. I love being on this team, but really my entry point to Nothing Is Wasted was the podcast. And mm -hmm. if you if you did miss that episode, um, I talk about my son Hudson, and he had he yeah. passed away in 2016, and I get got to tell much of his story um, with Aubrey, and mm -hmm. it um, I just love the podcast so much. I love everything that we do as a ministry. Um, you know, we have coaching and the Pain to Purpose course, and you know we're going to talk about a few other things that we're doing right now as a ministry. But the kind of open door for me was the podcast, and it was yeah. my first steps into the ministry before coming on staff, and then also um, just uh, 
I be, I like was listening, like binging these episodes because yeah. I was looking for stories of people who could survive really hard things. So it was a great place for me to be yeah. welcomed in. <laughs> well, we find that that's the, you know, the podcast is the open door for so many people. Some of you guys are mm-hmm. listening to this. This is how you first got turned on to the ministry of nothing. It's wasted. Some of you didn't even realize it was a full-fledged ministry. There's so many other things uh, that are going on in the underbelly of nothing mm-hmm. is wasted ministries besides what you see out there or what you're listening to right here, watching on YouTube. And uh, in fact, one of the other open doors or or kind of front doors, I guess I should say, that uh, people are introduced to our ministry through is through Pain to Purpose, especially at a local church level, which is something you're doing a whole lot of work with right now. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you're doing with, with Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, Pain to Purpose, local church level, facilitators of the course, all that sort of deal. Yeah. Well, if you're not familiar, the Pain to Purpose course is an online um, course that you can do, or you can do it in your local church. Um, and it's video-based, and you get your own like notebook participant guide that you kind of walk through your own journey towards purpose. And so um, I've stepped further into the, a support role there with uh, some of our churches who are offering it as part of their um, kind of flow and their education of their community. And so I'm working with Ken Roberts, our church director here at Nothing Is Wasted, and we've been spending time um, this past summer and even into the fall getting to know more of our facilitators, equipping them, training them, getting them ready. A lot of the folks we worked with over the summer launched their course at their churches this fall, and we are getting updates that, to me, it's like— all the behind the scenes stuff that it yeah. takes to pull something like this off. When I get to do that touch point with someone, I hear yes. the stories of I lost my husband three months ago and yeah. now I'm like linked up with other widows or like mm. those things to me push me to go do the behind the scenes because right. I'm seeing God at work and people not staying stuck and alone. So right. that's yeah. Right. And what some people may or may not know, if if anybody at this point in in, in our ministry, if anybody writes an email in Mm-hmm. Or if they, it's usually you yes. who is responding to that. And and, um, yes. and so you, uh, ironically, we're talking about these front doors. You kind of, we mm-hmm. think of Amy as like the the greeter at the front door in a lot of ways <laughs> to nothing is wasted ministries. You're kind of letting people in the front door and you're, you're, is, you just have such a welcoming presence about you mm-hmm. that is uh, so um, can, considerate forward toward other people. You're always caring about other people and how they're feeling and how they're doing and how they're feeling, you know. And so you just got this incredible way about you. I remember watching you at ARC and being like, oh my (laughs) gosh, we went to the ARC conference and you're there ministering to so many people who had experienced difficult things. You know, there with pastors and church leaders and they're coming and sharing their difficult stories with us and you're praying with them. And it was just such a cool picture to see you praying over some of these folks who are experiencing difficult things. So you just have such a, a pure heart for ministry and I love that. Thank you, Love having Danny. you a part of the team. Aubrey is super busy right now with the new release of her she book, is. Big Feelings Day. And uh, so Amy has uh, graciously <laughs> uh, accepted the invitation to come and join us for the next couple of uh, hosting these next couple of episodes. Yeah. And so we've got a great guest today. His name's Edward Grennan. And um, before we dive into that conversation, there's a few things that I want to make sure that you know about. The first thing is this, if there is anything that really has ministered to you, nothing is wasted ministries, if you're trying to figure out how to take a next step or 
take a first step toward healing. Uh, we have a Zoom call that I normally teach live. It's very rarely do I do we have to show some kind of recording. Every once in a while we have to, but I normally teach this live, try to carve time out of my schedule to make sure that we're spending time with you guys live via Zoom. So it's not a webinar, it's not like oh, I see your face or you see my face, but we don't see we like there's an actual interaction component which which I love because the end of some of the teaching time of this Zoom call we take questions and there's usually some really incredible times of uh, healing and breakthrough and ministry right there that the Lord does with all of us. And so I want to invite you to that call. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story. Mm-hmm. No matter what you've gone through, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here to register for the next one. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And for those of you guys who have friends or family members who are walking through tough things and you're trying to introduce them to, or warm them up to the idea that they do they can go from pain to purpose, this is a great next step for them. So invite yeah. them, maybe attend with them, nothingiswasted.com slash start here. As we speak right now, Amy, we are getting ready for a big thing this week. Yes. At the time that you're listening to this, it will have already happened, but we've got um, one of our pastor roundtable. We call it the Healing Leader Roundtable. So pastors, church leaders, leaders in the community, We've invited um, folks in the Lynchburg, Virginia community in partnership with Waymaker Church to come and join us. Um, and we're really excited about that. That's, kind of, that's going on this Thursday, yes. November 2nd. And uh, it's, it's, it's also my birthday. So I, it's like the best way that I could be spending my birthday <laughs> is hanging out with you guys and ministering to a bunch of church leaders. It's going to be awesome, Davey. Like as we've talked about as a ministry, um, just how... Churches are so in, we want the church to be where we turn Mm -hmm. when we're hurting. Like we as a ministry want to come alongside churches to build up the church to where, you know, it's a safe place, a healthy place and equip our leaders to deal with their own pain and then to help communities. So I'm so excited. We had another one of these in Delaware with Mm -hmm. United and it was so awesome. So I'm excited to be with you and the whole team. I know. And we're planning several of these for 2024. We will, as soon as we possibly have all of those dates and those locations nailed down, we'll let you know because I'm sure that as many listeners as we have all over the country that there will probably be one close to you. Yeah. And we'd love for you to invite your pastor, your church leaders, people in your community, maybe of counseling centers or wherever, or we'd love for you to come. Um, and so it's a, it's going to be a great event. I can't wait. We'll make sure you keep you up, keep you updated on that. Uh, today's conversation with Edward Grinnan. Edward was a fascinating conversation. Um, you know, many of you guys may not be familiar with who he is, but I chances are the work that he has done has impacted you because Edward's the editor-in-chief and vice president of Guideposts Publications, the infamous Guidepost magazine. He is the editor-in-chief of that. He's served there for over 24 years now. And um, he's written several phenomenal books. Um, one is called A Journey of Faith that's that just released in September. And it's a... Um, uh, um, it's 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 uh, kind of a memoir about a, his journey as he was navigating his mom's battle with Alzheimer's, yeah, and then his his own wrestlings of that. So we dive into that in this conversation. It really is a it's a very um, I I would say sobering conversation. So I was mm-hmm. listening to him and he's kind of reflecting back some of these conversations. You know, we've got people who are talking very much about the present. Some people are thinking forward, and he's reflecting back on some things here, and it was very. Uh, enlightening for me as he did that. So I want you to go ahead and lean in and take a listen to this conversation with Edward Grennan. And we're going to be 
uh, back with you, Amy and I will, and we'll have some conversations surrounding that conversation. Davey, I just want to mention too, this episode will hit a lot of us because it talks about yes. multiple pain points. It talks about the, his mom for sure and her journey with Alzheimer's, and that may be part of what you're walking through. But also he talks about his journey with addiction and then right. um, just also he, um, he, there's suicide in his story. So just yeah. to let everyone know, it hits multiple pain points. That's right. That's right. Let's go ahead and take a listen to my conversation with Edward Grennan. Well, Edward, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Davey. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm, I look forward to our conversation. You know, I do too. And I was explaining to you off air, the reason I'm looking forward to this is I think that the Lord does this kind of stuff a lot where he just brings certain conversations in in a very timely manner. You know, the folks who are listening to this, they're going to hear uh, this kind of on repeat in some ways, but we do a call every other week called the five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you're going through. And just this past week on that call, I had a someone who was on that call who has just experienced um, a diagnosis at 42 years old of early onset Alzheimer's. And she was asking if we have any resources for it. I said, you know, we don't right now. And then I get here this morning and I sit down and I look at my notes for the interview that I'm about to do. And and here you are, Edward. And I think it's just, <laughs> just like the Lord for a time such as this, you know, and I know that not just one person is going to be impacted by this conversation, but I know so many people are because of your journey. And so I'm excited to, to be able to share your journey with our, with our community. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where, where, you, where you live, what life is like right now, and then we'll, we'll dive into some of the, the journey that you've been going on. Well, well, well thanks, Davey. Um, I always say, you know, pertaining to that phone call you got, I always say that I, uh, every day I trip over the Lord. Um, in, in so far as I think I'm walking my normal path and all of a sudden there's a little bit of a stumble and I realize I'm being reminded that there's more than I'm necessarily expecting of the day. Um, and so that phone wow. call of yours was, was interesting because it, it certainly because I, I've just finished a book, uh, my third actually memoir um, called uh, A Journey of Faith, A Mother's Alzheimer's, A Son's Love, and His Search for Answers. And I, I, I'm the editor-in-chief of a magazine um, called Guideposts that has been around yep. since 1945. It's a, one of the beloved right? magazines, yes, of... of, of of, of Americans, and it was founded by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, uh, the author of the, positive, the Power of Positive Thinking. He actually founded Guy Post Magazine about eight years before he released that, you know, groundbreaking book that really told people that the, you know, the true secret to life is faith in oneself and faith in God. Mm. And um, that's, the, mm. that's what Guy Post Magazine does by telling personal stories of people, you know, people in the publishing industry in New York City, where I, I've spent half my time and, and worked there, um, you know, they're like, oh, you, you're the editor of that magazine about God. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I, I cringe a little at their, you know, their cynicism, I guess. Or, and, um, yeah. but it's really, you know, I always say it's not really a magazine about God. It's a magazine about people, about people mm. who have faith. That's right. But the magazine is really about the people. Um, Wow. You know, a magazine about God, that's that's not really what we do. We do 
uh, we want we like to show people experiencing their faith in their day-to-day lives and putting their faith into action mm. in, in various situations, many of which are, are the type of situations that you discuss, people who have reached uh, some sort of juncture in their life when their faith is really being challenged, um, their strength is being challenged, and they find a way uh, through that um, dilemma or that crisis, uh, sometimes because the only thing left is 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 their faith to get them through. So mm-hmm. that's really what Guy Post Magazine. I've been doing that since 1986, believe it or not, when I was hired as an assistant editor. And we can get into this later, but I was hmm. a, I was actually a down and out alcoholic at the time. I really was virtually homeless. Wow. And I never heard of guideposts and. Through some miracle, they got a hold of my resume. I have no idea. I didn't send it to them. Hmm. And I never did solve that mystery of how they got my name, and they called me up. And I thought, these people don't know what they're getting into, having me come in for an interview. I'm, I'm, you know, I wouldn't have hired me. <laughs> um, and, and you know, at first, I didn't even know what it was. I thought Guy Posts was a... Um, I thought it was a. I thought it was a travel magazine. Uh, and I yeah, think, you know, so maybe get some <laughs> free trips. Like a travel out of magazine this. or yeah. a Western yeah, Outdoors so magazine yeah. or something. Yeah, like I could get some fun out of this. Um, but if you substitute um, the word journey for for um, travel, then that's God. What's Guidepost has been to me, and um, wow. it's a, a journey of, of faith that I have traveled, and I really discovered and deepened my faith working at guideposts because mm-hmm. I was not a terribly faithful person when I when I got there but I had a writing background that they needed and I thought I'd stay for a year and I said okay mm-hmm. I'll work on my resume you know and I'll join the rest of the the publishing industry or something and um, after the end of a year you know I thought mm, I'll try another year and, and that was in 1986 and I've been there ever since I was named editor in chief 40 in 19 <laughs> I know don't remind wow. me and uh, that was uh, wow. I was named editor in chief and vice president in 1999 and um, I'm there because the people who read the magazine and the people of faith the faith community in general in America are so enriching, and you know this because you have a podcast and yeah. an audience. Um, the amount of the power and strength and vitality that an audience, faithful audience, gives you is, is unbelievable. I, I would wonder how I could have made it through some of the issues of my life without that audience mm-hmm. uh, to connect with. So, wow, um, wow, it's amazing, so to, isn't it? So true. That, you know, we we talk a lot about Edward. We talk about how Revelation twelve says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I love the fact that that's what guideposts. I mean, what a career, what an amazing career you've had as the editor-in-chief there. You know, I don't know how long you've been the editor-in-chief, but for 40 years being there at guideposts and supporting this vision of saying, okay, you know, we're going to share people's stories because that provides encouragement. It, It helps people who are like, I don't know if I can go on another day. It helps point them to, first of all, you know, to the Lord, but then also to the purpose that, that God has given them and imbued inside of their life to be able to get up the next day. And, I think it's so valuable and important. You know, there's so many people who are creating platforms for their own story, which is not a bad mm-hmm. thing, but I love the fact that you have pushed other people's stories to the forefront over the past mm-hmm. uh, several decades and said, this is, this is a collection of all of us and how the Lord is showing up in all of our lives. It's amazing. Right. You know, um, that's, that's so interesting that you bring that up because it, it, you know, it wasn't until 2010 that I wrote my first um, book for guideposts, a promise of hope, which should have told the story that I just encapsulated here. Mm. And um, it, it was funny that it took me that long to tell my own story. 
you know, and it was my wife at the time, uh, my late wife, uh, Julie, who said, you know, when I, when I agreed to write a book for guideposts, um, uh, she said, you should write about your own story and stop worrying about other people's stories for a while and just <laughs> tell your own story because, you know, you've never done that. And she was right. I hadn't done yeah. that. I hadn't stepped out. Because yeah. when you tell your story and when you own your story, and we all have stories, um, every single one of us, our lives, mm -hmm. lives are, the stories are the roadmap through life that we have, you know, but we really um, reveal ourselves if we do it honestly. And, and that's what Julie said to me at the time, be honest. You know, if you're honest, it will, it will come out, you will be supported, God will be behind you on this project. So, and that was yeah. um, what, wow. three books ago. And the, the, you know, and that's what wow. I thought about when, when I, when I thought about writing this third book that's just been released uh, mm -hmm. through guideposts, um, I thought about, okay, so what really, what worries me? Who am I? What, what, what mm. has shaped me? What is, where is my faith intersected with my life in a dramatic or a meaningful way? And it was mm. the story of my mother's Alzheimer's and seeing her through that painful process as a son and as a sibling to my brother and sister, you know, what we had to do. And, and in my family, Alzheimer's runs in my family. Um, mm. And I worry about the state of my own mind. Even, even now, I, I find myself becoming more forgetful and, and, and sort of struggling with certain cognitive issues. So I've explored that in the book. Mm. Um, but I've also explored, like, how does faith come into that? You know, if you, if you, you know, it's, it's you know, I think the world's divided into people who want to know the future, and not, mm. and people who don't want to know the future. Um, mm. You know, and wanting to know, I think, is what makes us human. Wanting to know who we are, wanting to know our our future, wanting to know God, and wanting to know know and love God. Those yeah. are the forces that that propel us. On, journey, on a journey of faith. Um, and I wanted to know, so I went on a quest to find out what the state of my mind is right now. And some of the answers are still up, up in the air, um, but it was a fascinating, it was a fascinating journey to really think that you might want to know, you know what's ahead uh, for you in the future. Mm -hmm. But what I learned is the only thing you can be certain of about the future is God is there. God is there waiting. Mm. God is, wow. he, he, he exists outside of uh, the constraints of human time. He is in the past, he is in the present, and he's in the future simultaneously. And that's the one thing we know about tomorrow and next year and next decade and whatever, however far we can look into the future. The only thing we can really see with clarity is God's presence and God's love. And that's what wow. I'm, one of the things I discovered wow. in this book. So good. Um, so good. So I did just to jump back yeah, a little bit. Just to jump back a little bit, I'm worried about the the woman who called you about Alzheimer's a little bit. She's, mm. I think you said she was um, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. I think you said mm. she was in her 40s. She's very young, 40s, but it yeah, does 42, hit then, yeah. right? Um, you know, Alzheimer's is a disease that really is shaking the foundation of our society. There are millions and millions of families who are affected by Alzheimer's one way or the other, either they're caregivers or they have loved ones who are suffering. Mm -hmm. And it is an intractable fatal disease. No one's ever survived Alzheimer's. Um, the early onset 
that you described from this caller is is really a hard, hard road. Um, mm. And, you know, there's the support she can turn to her family and to her congregation and to her faith community. But also the Alzheimer's Association has is a tremendous organization and they, they offer a lot of resources. And I would urge anyone who's dealing with this, either themselves or with a family member, to check the Alzheimer's Association website for resources because they are there and it takes a tremendous amount of support. It's interesting about Alzheimer's. It's a terror, you know, what could be crueler than a disease that steals our memories? You know, a disease that actually erases us. Um, You know, and it is the disease that people over 50 fear most uh, of contracting or coming down with, even though heart disease and cancer and other conditions afflict and kill more people than Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is still that greatest fear of of people over 50. And it's for people over 21, it's the third biggest fear. Um, So the uh, specter of that disease, you know, haunts us. And it it has haunted me personally after watching my mother and and all her siblings go through it and thinking, where does that leave me? And where does that leave my faith? Wow. Wow. Tell me a little bit about your mom and your relationship with your mom, if you will, and then share a little bit about that journey as you're watching her having to suffer through this and, and where, where did, where was God showing up in that for you? Because you said it yourself, this, this is a cruel disease and it'd be very easy for us to, uh, to take that, I, you know, this reality of a, of a cruel disease and begin to superimpose it onto God and, and and begin to project that to say, okay, this he must be a cruel god. Yes. But tell me a little bit about your mom, that journey, and and where God was showing up in it. Right. Just to follow up on that one point about being a cruel god, I think it's really difficult. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody not getting mad at God at some point in their life or another. Right. You know, just because we are humans, and we right. we want to blame someone, and and an all knowing, all loving deity is an easy target for our small minds. Um, so yes, I, I certainly still do sometimes say, God, how can you allow this? But that's the essence of faith is that you don't always understand, but you accept. Yeah. Um, my mother, <laughs> her name, her maiden name was Estelle Rossiter. She was born in Philadelphia. She was a piece of work. Um, mm. Mom was a ball of energy. She was really smart. She was the the daughter of a school teacher, she learned to read by the time she got into kindergarten practically and skipped a couple of grades and was in college by the time she was 16. You know, and by the 1950s, she was a quiz show champion. Um, she really had a, a fast, active mind. She always had a couple books going. She read several newspapers a day. We, our house was full of newspapers. I can't tell you how many newspapers we subscribed to. I mean, she was just so vibrant. And she was just dedicated to her church. You know, she did mm. a lot of service at St. Owen's Church in, in um, Birmingham, Michigan. Um, and, you know, that's where some of the first evidence of her failing mind emerged. Mm. You know, a, a, a nun, a Sister Carolyn, got in touch with my brother and sister. You know, I, I live out east. They're back in Michigan. Um, and I'm out in New York and Western Massachusetts, where I am now. And Sister Carolyn said, your mother's having trouble counting the collection plate. Now, my mother would take the collection basket after daily mass, and she'd count out 
you know, to take. And, uh, and then she'd fill out a, a slip and take it to the bank and deposit it into the church account. And Sister Carolyn mm-hmm. noticed that my mother was miscounting the, um, the collection um, every day. And it was a problem. I mean, my mom was good at math, and she had done this forever. So, you know, we saw, we saw that. Sister Carolyn, you know, was able to correct it for her in a subtle way so my mom didn't realize that she was, she was making these mistakes. She was also the church librarian, and Sister Carolyn got in touch with us and said, you know, she's not shelving books right. You know, that we're going to have to, like, take that job away from her. She can still, you know, check books in and out. And it was that's those little moments. And, you know, what comes into play is denial. You know, and we're not a, you know, my brother and, and sister and, and I are not dumb people. And my brother and sister-in-law and sister are certainly not dumb people. But that denial, that sense that, no, this isn't really happening. This is just the vagaries of an aging brain. And, a, and your mother's getting older and you have to accept that she's got some limitations. But we really had trouble understanding that the likely cause of her memory problems was Alzheimer's and that that was going to you know, consume her over the following years. And being a caregiver, me at a distance, which meant I wasn't a very good caregiver, it really brought up you know, a lot of anxiety, a lot of guilt on my part. And anxiety and guilt, you know, in many ways are very selfish. And and I was feeling more pain about myself, I think, than really about my mother. Because I just felt like, you know, I should do more. I should be there. I should, you know, she's loved me all my life and I should be there for her now. And it it really threw me... You know, we're going to get into another part of my story, but and I think I mentioned uh, when I first came to Guideposts, I was, you know, I was practically dead of of drug and alcohol addiction and practically homeless at the mm-hmm. time. And I had been, you know, I had lived somewhat on the streets before I came to Guideposts. I would hustle change uh, downtown Manhattan around Wall Street or over in Hoboken in the Hoboken train station. I would really hustle change so I could keep drinking. You know, I'd pick up cigarette butts off the street and smoke them. I mean, that's where I was before I came to Guideposts. So, um, you know, and I got, one of the things I did at Guideposts was I got sober. Um, through, the, through a 12-step program wow. and through a power greater than myself a, a day at a time, which I still wow. adhere to. Um, and that, you know, in the book, I talk about how I slipped back into alcoholism during my mother's illness, during the early part of it. And mm-hmm. I was in intense desi- denial about it, intense denial that it had anything to do with my mother. I just said, ah, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I'm drank because I, I drink. And I saw, I was in a detox mm-hmm. and I talked to a counselor who said, you know, this has to do with the pain you're feeling about your mother. It's not an excuse for your drinking, but we all have triggers that trigger bad behavior, mm-hmm. even sinful behavior. Um, and I was denying that my mother's suffering was the trigger that it meant I, I was having trouble coping with those emotions. And I was having trouble yeah. turning those emotions over to God and saying, Lord, take this from me. I was hanging on mm-hmm. to it. It was poisoning me, and I was drinking again. Um, fortunately, you know, I went, went back to 12-step, um, and I was able to right the ship. So I've been, I've been sober now for 27 years. Wow. But that, wow. that period of time in my mother's Alzheimer's, when I began to drink again, 
and begin to suffer all the emotional and spiritual decay that comes from that. Um, yeah. You know, it really, it really, it told me how vulnerable I was and how much I needed, you know, my faith to live a day at a time. And, and, and not mm-hmm. just with my drinking, but with my mother's illness and with my own fears that when I saw her in decline, I began thinking, is that going to happen to me? It's a terrible thought when somebody mm-hmm. else is suffering and you worry about yourself. But yeah. I did. And I had to accept wow. that. I had to own that. You know, because I'm a human being and not all my emotions are good ones and not all my feelings are noble, but they're there. They're me. They're real. They're what it's how God has made me. You know, how, how can I, you know, hate that? So I stopped hating myself. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment to connect you with a free resource that I know will be helpful in your pain to purpose journey. It's our free seven day devotional that you can sign up for right now. With this devotional, you'll get seven daily devotions that I wrote. We'll deliver them directly to your inbox each morning for seven days. These are adapted from our pain to purpose 42 day devotional and are full of daily scripture readings, questions to reflect upon and prayer prompts to help you focus your heart. If you're looking for some encouragement and whatever you're facing, this is it. And listen, the best part about it, it's completely free. All you have to do is go to devo.nothingiswasted.com. Again, that's devo.nothingiswasted.com to sign up for this seven-day devotional. Now, I don't know your story, but what I do know is that God isn't done with it. Whether you've endured a recent loss, a divorce, an unexpected diagnosis or some other painful reality, God wants to give you hope when it seems like all hope is lost. Let's take seven days together to find that hope in whatever you're walking through. Sign up today at devo.nothingiswasted.com. Well, you know, earlier you said that your late wife prompted you to be honest with your first book. And I really appreciate your honesty because all of us, when we encounter our own suffering, but also suffering of people who are around us, we have mixed feelings. We have feelings about their suffering that are noble and altruistic. And then we have feelings about our own and our own fears that as you've just, you know, very... um, very honestly and humbly said, Hey, that was, I felt like that was not, that was an ennoble emotion for me to have. And yet I had to be very uh, transparent about that and put that out in front and go, this is something I'm, I'm experiencing. And, and I say that because I want people to, to recognize that for themselves. I think often those are the kinds of feelings that we can suppress and stuff, and that can lead and contribute to further adaptive coping mechanisms. Um, r- really, uh, maladaptive behavior that could take place in our lives because of that. And it's really important for us to experience all of those emotions, really bring those very difficult questions to the forefront and then place them at the feet of Jesus and wrestle with those. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I'm curious, Edward, what, what, what those questions were for you. You know, we talk about philosophical existential questions that pain tends to draw out of us. What were some of those for you as you were wrestling through some of this? 
That's a great question, Davey. Um, what you say about maladaptive um, survival mechanisms, I guess, you know, so many of us, even you come from a troubled family, and, and you know, mm. I, I, there was trauma in my family. Um, I had um, a, a Down syndrome brother who was three years older than me, and when I was nine and he was 12, mm. he disappeared. He disappeared. Um, he literally walked off the face of the earth. This was a wonderful, sweet boy. Wow. Um, and he just went out for a walk before he was going to go to school, to a special education, a Catholic special education school. Um, and we never saw him again. Um, and it was, mm. you can imagine, you know, not just losing a child, but losing a, you know, a, a special needs child, what it did to my parents. Their faith kept their marriage together and strong. Um, but it was mm. a terrible challenge. You know, his body was found a month later, but there was never a really clear explanation of how he died. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm bringing this up uh, because sometimes in our families, um, you know, to survive our families, we, we, we develop survival mechanisms um, that yeah. work growing up, but are just blow up in our faces when we get into the uh, real yeah. world as adults because we're still clinging yeah. to those same, you know, adaptations to a difficult situation. And I see it all the time yeah. in people and I see it in myself, you know, as well. And um, so uh, some of the things that, you know, you were saying what I wrestle with, I often, you know, am I a worthy person? I'm a good person. You know, I question my behavior, even what you might think of as a good behavior. I'll say, man, did I really do that because I'm a good person? Because I wanted mm. to please someone or I wanted to make myself feel better. You know, one of the things I, I tell writers, I, you know, I've been a writer and an editor all my life. And one thing I've learned and which I try to tell writers and anybody who's trying to tell their story is stop being so polite. You know, I see mm. so much polite writing. And I have to say, I see it mostly in Christian writers. They're too polite. Yeah. They're too worried about revealing something that they'll be judged for. You know, they'll be judged by God. Mm. But that's a different ballgame than worrying about what your readers wow. and your audience and your who you're sharing that story with. I, did, I learned that, that being honest is one of the most appreciated elements of, of, of any kind of writing or storytelling or sharing mm. um, when you're honest, people respond to it. Um, and it took me a while. I was afraid to be honest. I didn't want to show who I was. You know, even mm. when after, you know, 20 years at Guideposts, I didn't want to tell them who I was when I got to Guideposts. I didn't want to tell those struggles. I was afraid that, you know, that, that I'd be rejected or they'd say, how did a character like this get in charge of this huge magazine? And um, what I learned is that when I was honest, like I'm trying to be with you about my feelings and who I am, that the acceptance was unbelievable. I mean, and this is a, a, mm. a, a faith-based, Christ, mostly Christian audience. So I shouldn't, I should, that's what I should expect them, but I didn't, you know, I, <laughs> that idea of trust, you know, comes in and out of my stories, particularly with my, my mother, uh, you know, trusting that in one way or another, she is in God's hands, trusting that we are all in God's hands, trusting that there isn't a situation that I won't be able to handle, even if handling it takes all of me to do it. Um, you know, that one of the great lessons I learned in my mother's journey, and even in my own struggles now 
with my possible issues um, is that trust has to travel with you. If you can't ask questions of yourself or God that you are unwilling to trust the answers. Um, mm. And that trust, people, you know, people have issues with trust naturally. I think we are all programmed yeah. in a way to think twice before we trust in anything. And sometimes you think a lot more than right. twice and you never do it. Trusting is a leap of mm. faith. Faith is a, is, a, is a question of trust. And it is really the foundation of our, our relationship with the higher power is, is the ability to trust something mm. outside ourselves. I found my, when I trusted myself, <laughs> and things always went awry. Um, wow. Wow. So. It's interesting how it, it feels like in our journey with, with the Lord, you know, trust is always at the, the juncture with him. It's almost every single circumstance that we encounter, every single decision that we have, it's almost a trust decision. It's a, okay, am I going to do this my way? Am I going to take on like a, a more self-preservation type decision? Or am I going to take on a self-sacrifice decision right here and trust God's ways with this? And it seems to, they're almost like there seems to be these trust tests along the way where God's well, going, okay, which, which direction are you going to take? Well, I, you know, you talked about the the trauma in your your life, uh, the what happened to your to your, mm -hmm. to your wife and, and unborn child. Yeah, and you know, those are such a you know because when you come out when I you know when I lost my brother or, you know, when when I was down and out as an alcoholic on the streets of New York, and, or you at the end of of that part of your your journey, can you trust again in, in the Lord? Like for you yeah. to be able to trust God after trusting him and then seeing what happens, you know, yeah. that, you know, what can happen in a life, what tragedy and sadness that can, can visit us. And yeah. we are still asked to trust God and it makes no sense to do it. It really yeah. doesn't. Faith no is one of the most yeah. senseless things that our minds, our small minds, you know, can can try to grasp because even when the worst happens, you know, it should paradoxically increase your trust in God's love. Yeah. And that yeah. is a challenge it's we true. all face. You know, it's true. there's so many reasons to you talk, turn away from God. You talked about the human the human propensity is to say, All right, I'm gonna hold you at arm's length until you can prove that you're trustworthy. And then, and then I'll trust you. Once your track record shows me you're trustworthy, I'll trust you. Right. And right. it's like God's invitation to us is the opposite. It's like he's saying, hey, trust me and I'll prove that I'm trustworthy. And yet that flies sometimes in, it's in direct conflict with some of these things that we experience in life. Like, as you say, it's like, man, how can I, okay, God, I trusted you. I trusted you with my family. I trusted you with my health. I trusted you with my... And now this has happened. And, but what we find, and this is probably the, the, the pinnacle of that paradox is that we find, as you said earlier, that God is right there in the future waiting for us. It's like Psalm 23 comes alive where it mm. says, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And somehow yes. we experience the presence of God in the midst of all of these things that even though everything else around us doesn't make any sense, 
that seems to be the only thing that goes, okay, this doesn't make sense that this makes sense. Right. <laughs> but it <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> well, that's, yes, <laughs> you know? that's a brilliant way of putting it. You know, I, you know, and, and we try to bargain with God all the time because we don't trust him. You know, it's like we've got a, mm. we've got, you know, I, I was talking to Max Lucado the other day and he talked about conditional prayer. Um, you know, where I'll give mm. you something, God, if you give me something back. Who are we to offer anything to God except our faith? And our mm. trust. And Max, you know, talked about how he did it so much of his life. And in, in Max's case, it was his father had ALS and he couldn't mm. understand how God could do this to him, um, not to his father, but yeah. to Max. And I found myself thinking, how could you do this to me when it was my mother's Alzheimer's? And it's like, mm. God's not doing anything to anyone. You know, that that's what, what we experience as human beings are human problems, not God problems. Um, mm. And you know, it is God who is there to help us not always solve the problem, but at least cope with it, face it, and try to work our ways through it. That's what guidepost stories are all about, is people yeah. working through their problems. You know, it's yeah. just, mm. you know, it's, it's something that unites us as human beings. We forget, we think we're alone in our struggles, you know, but we're not. Mm. And one of the things that we do in guideposts is it's not so much saying God is with you in your struggles. That's you know, that's axiomatic, but we're each other, we're in us. And, you know, when people read guidepost stories, mm. they say, wow, you know, that happened to me too, or something like, I can identify with that struggle. Yeah. And we all struggle yeah. together. And, and the more together we are, the more our struggles at least begin to make sense. Wow. Wow. So good. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about this. Um, you, you've kind of, you've shared a little bit about your battle with your, your addiction and sobriety and uh, in both two different situations, one prior to going to guideposts and then in another stint while you were um, wrestling with your mom's yeah. uh, disease. Right. I, I, I wonder what you've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder what you've learned about healing and the brain. Um, as you've gone through that journey yourself, you know, we talk a lot about healing and we talk a lot about um, both physical healing and emotional healing, but there's so much that's coming to the forefront now in conversations and scientific discoveries about, you know, the brain, the neural pathways, the, and, and how, how God interacts with that and how healing interacts with that and how experiences so I'm just curious about your own journey through that. You know, there's a lot of people who are listening to this who they've wrestled through their own addictions and their own uh, struggles through that, or they've watched a friend or a family member and they're trying to journey that road. And what are your What are your thoughts on that? What are some maybe paradigm shifts that you've experienced in your own journey? Well, I've always been interested in the brain. So when I began the book. Um, I, it was during the the pandemic, so Julie and 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 me and our dog Gracie, who's asleep right there to my left, um, <laughs> we 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 um, retreated here to this little vacation place that we had in the Berkshires, um, and I just ordered every book when I decided I was going to write about this subject. I ordered everything I could on the brain, every book, mm. um, and spent days and days reading books on the brain, only to realize that really mm. it's an incredible, if God lives any place, it's, it's in our consciousness, you know, and we can't really 
there isn't a satisfactory um, definition of what consciousness is right now. It, you know, mm. neuroscientists and, and thinkers and philosophers are, are still debating it. And with the advent of artificial intelligence, it becomes even more of a question. You know, people mm. say, well, what happens if, if AI becomes conscious? You know, um, but we can't really define what consciousness is. So how do we know, mm. how will we know if AI becomes conscious? How will we know if AI develops a faith that's real? So we don't mm. because we can't really decide our we can't really define what makes us conscious we can talk about the neural pathways we can talk about the various parts of the brain that involve memory like the hippocampus or the neocortex um and what i discovered was that the, the brain is is function it's almost entirely a, a memory machine that's what the brain is everything we do all of our thinking is based on memory however instantaneous those memories are even what we're seeing now in a room you know that that is a memory because of the time it takes for the for the image to actually get into your brain and to, to be, you know, yeah. shepherded through those neural pathways to the to the correct place where it can be experienced. Um, but the brain is unfathomably complex, and mm. you know, and only only someone only someone more, deeper and more complex than the brain could have created it, and that, that has to be. A universal divinity, a god, the way Christians uh, yeah. perceive him, um, and that's why a disease that affects the brain is so fundamentally it so fundamentally shakes um, our foundations, you know, in life and in faith, right. um, because the brain is is really everything, um, and I, you know, I've, I've been, you know, and so I've, you know, and it and it takes healing it starts in the in the mind. Always, no matter what, whether it's your broken leg or your broken heart, um, it mm. is the mind that is the healing um, dynamo because it's so much about how you think and how your brain interprets those thoughts um, mm. and how that, that, that healing can flow through the, the brain and the heart. Um, it's, it's really, it, it, it's healing is such a mis miraculous thing. If you've ever had a cut and you've watched it heal, over time, hmm. it's a miracle to look at that the skin yeah. come back together, um, and and to mm. feel that you know that is God touching us, that healing. You know, He, you know, we ask mm. why God, you know, makes us suffer in our own small mm. human interpretation of suffering. You know, but what God really well. does is heals us. He doesn't make us suffer, but He does heal, mm. and you you know. You can see it all around. And for me, I, you know, I worried a lot about when I was drinking, particularly earlier in my life, I, you know, I, I reached the, the end stages of alcoholism very quickly. And I, you know, by the time I was in my late 20s, I was I suffering the DTs and withdrawal seizures and, and grand mal convulsions and, and mm -hmm. so forth. And, you know, all these years later, I began to think, well, how is that? Is that primed my brain for dementia? Has that damaged me in a way, you know, that that I'm not going to be able to fix? And you know, it it does. It it hangs over me that that fear. But still, you know, the the mind is so brilliantly conceived that it really does heal itself. You know, mm. there's that old saying, you know, physician heal thyself, but really it's brain heal thyself. Yeah. Because the brain yeah. can, 
can do it. And God has given us that healing power um, that he, you know, when you heal, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a long process. You know, healing isn't, you know, I want to be healed overnight. I want everything to be fixed in 24 hours. You know, I have a definite, you know, uh, timer on my prayers. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, healing is not an instantaneous thing. And, you know, I think, you know, we are healed. It's it's a cliche, but I think we are healed. We are stronger in the broken places. I believe that. And, yeah. and, and yeah. healing, suffering and healing, which are virtually the same thing in many respects, for me is the only time I've experienced profound personal and more importantly, spiritual growth. You know, I love being happy. I love having a good day. I don't learn much <laughs> about myself or the world or my faith <laughs> or God on a good day. Yeah. I just coast along enjoying what it feels like. Yeah. But but my growth periods in life have, have been when I'm at my darkest and my suffering is the deepest mm. and my need for healing is the greatest. It's those times in my life that I've wow. grown spiritually, and it's those times in my life when I've when I've experienced the presence of God most dramatically, and have grown closer to Him. You know, on a good day, I'm mm. on great terms with God, I'm on great terms with the Lord. Nice day, <laughs> thanks. But I'm not growing, yeah. and I'm not saying that people should go out yeah. and, and deliberately suffer in order to, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, you know, yeah. to stimulate yeah. spiritual growth. But we're all going to suffer. Here. Yeah. Yes, we're all going to yeah. go through periods of suffering, and we have to see them as right. as as opportunities for spiritual growth. And I, and then that sounds sort of Panglossian, but you know, I, it took me a long time. It took me when I was drinking for those years. I you know I suffered over and over and over again, and I didn't learn that that oh. suffering was a vehicle for me to grow. And it, finally, when I realized that suffering was the path to growth, I, I grew. I grew almost. I grew mm. in spite of myself. Most most of my good qualities, such as they are, have developed developed in spite of myself. So, wow. and that, that wow. includes growth. Man, yeah, it's always nice to have those days of levity, right? But that you're mm -hmm. right. It's absolutely a very. It's a paradox that we grow in the places of suffering. We grow in the dark yes. night of the soul more than we, we are do. going to when we're and we heal there. We're experiencing mountaintop. We That's right. That's right. It's interesting too, the perspective that you just brought forward that, you know, it's not that God like puts suffering on us necessarily, which is often the, what we resort to. It's the mindset that we resort to is like, God, why are you doing this to me? It's that God created our bodies to heal because he knew in this life we would be cut. He knew in this life we would be, we would be hurt. We would experience. So he already, and he already embedded inside the DNA coding of our bodies for it to heal. What right. a fascinating thing. Right, and it is fast. That's why I said you look at a cut. You know, it, it's even interesting. I, you know, I, I cut myself a couple of years ago. I was a bad cut, and I kept taking pictures of it with my phone. You know, as it mm. as it got better. You know, because I was sending them to my doctor because yeah. he wanted to know how it was healing. But I was mm. amazed to look at those pictures and see it got better. It healed the skin, the cells. They regenerated, and and mm. you know, you're right. It's right in our DNA that we're programmed to heal. And I think it's in our spiritual DNA as well that we are programmed to heal. Um, and it's not yeah. always easy. We can't always find our way immediately. But we are programmed for healing. Um, that is how God created us. He created the universe. He created a broken world, or at least a broken right. world came into being. And right. it's a world that can be healed. You know, suffering began in the Garden mm -hmm. of Eden with a choice. That's where suffering began. And... It's been part of our existence ever since. 
but an important part. Wow. And you hate to tell people that they should be grateful for their problems. Mm. I don't know, grateful is the word for it, but I think acceptance is probably a better word than gratitude for that. Mm. Yeah, that's when you accept, probably, ex- when probably you accept your suffering, you, you begin to get past it. And I'm not saying that everyone should exist in a state of suffering. I certainly don't. But, you know, those yeah. are the tragedies <laughs> in life are, are yeah. ways to, to find your way closer to God. And yeah. it's, it's yeah. been my blessing. Yeah. I feel like in the middle of my healing, the Lord was really nudging me to to think about contentment. You know, Paul talks about in Scripture that he's found contentment in, in every season. So whether it is some of these seasons of levity or these seasons of mountaintop experiences, but also in the seasons of suffering, how do we find contentment? And I think acceptance is a very big component of finding that to say, okay, I tr- that's part of that trust journey that we have with the Lord as well, where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm content in this. You know, I don't know if I like it, but I'm content. And those two things can coexist. Davey, I think you're completely right about that. It's a beautiful point that that really contentment is wholly dependent on acceptance. You know, and you don't have to accept necessarily the things that that are bad for you, but if you accept the day that God has given you, um, you're more likely to be contented in it, and then fighting against. It's hard to be con- content, contentful if you're if you're always fighting. You know, I found myself fighting a lot mm. when I was younger. So I was fighting about something, usually, usually with myself, mm. but often with others, and, and frequently with God. Now I really didn't. Wow. You know, I was I was raised in a very Christian home, and you know, I'm a, and I was an altar boy for a long time. I was, you know, I was, but I drifted from that faith uh, quite a bit until I found my way back. And I finding my way, I did not run into the arms of God. I did everything I did to run away from the arms of God. Um, and I think I just, you know, he was always waiting around whatever corner I was turning. Um, and eventually, you know, I ran out of energy. Hey, it's Aubrey Sampson here. And just like you, I have dealt with a lot of big feelings and heartache in my life. Mostly I've written about lament and grief for a grown-up audience, but we all know, especially here at Nothing Is Wasted, that adults do not have a monopoly on strong, difficult emotions. And so I have turned my attention to writing about big feelings for little ones with a brand new children's book called Big Feelings Days, a book about hard things, heavy emotions, and Jesus's love. We all know that children have a lot of emotions and feeling sad or angry or brokenhearted can be overwhelming. That's why it's so important to help the kids in our lives understand that their feelings are valuable and normal and that they can creatively express what they feel to Jesus who created emotions and deeply cares about everyone. Big Feelings Days is a tender and engaging picture book that helps children ages three to seven learn how to release their feelings of grief, anger, and heartbreak in creative ways to our God who cares. This picture book includes full color illustrations and they are darling, relatable imagery to help children express and identify emotions, and creative ways for children to process their feelings with Jesus. Even now, you can be helping your kids develop emotional health or your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, those kids you love. You can help them begin to develop emotional health and emotional intelligence 
as they learn to come to Jesus with whatever they may be feeling. And a little secret between us, this book helps adults as well. You can pre-order it wherever it is you pre-order your book. It comes out on October 17th. If you go to navpress.com, you'll find the book for 20% off for our Nothing Is Wasted listeners. You can also follow me at obsamp on Instagram for more information. Edward, um, I want. I've got two more questions, and and one of them, you know, is just a very practical question. I know there are people listening to this, and they are, they found themselves in a season where they're a caretaker for um, a family member, parents. What would you? What's practical advice that you would give to someone who is watching a family member suffer, wanting to step in and take care of that family member, be there for that family member or friend? Anything that you would, if you were sitting across the table and having coffee with them, anything that you would suggest to them or recommend? Well, first and foremost, you know, take care of yourself. You know, there's mm. a, it's, it's my, my wife, my late wife used to call it the oxygen mask theory. Mm. You know, you're on an airplane and they always tell you before you try to help others, put your oxygen mask on first and then mm. you can help others. Caregiving's a lot like that. Um, you have to make sure, you know, that your spiritual, your physical and mental and emotional needs are being taken care of enough so that you are strong enough to help the loved one you're caring for. And, mm. you know, I think secondly, don't blame yourself. It's, it's so easy to blame yourself for not doing enough or for the, your loved one's condition or suffering. You've got to step out of that circle of blame because you can't effectively uh, care for someone. Um, if you're, if you're not, being good to yourself and you know that's you know you have to be good to yourself to be good to others and and that is really the key to, mm -hmm. to caretaking you know and I, i'd say give yourself breaks give yourself days off don't be afraid don't ever be afraid to ask others to help you i i, I meet people who's you know they're taking care of a parent for instance who's very sick and they have brothers and sisters that could help them, but they're afraid to ask or they don't want, you know, and sometimes it's, they're just, they want to do it all, you know, and as a caretaker, you cannot do it all. And you, you probably can't cure um, the person you're caring for. That's up to the doctors and, and to, to God. Um, and the, 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 the final thing, and this is more specific to, to, to Alzheimer's, um, be there in the moment. You know, one of the lessons of this mm. book was to be present in the moment. Do not try to be present in any other way. Live in the moment. So, and Alzheimer's patients do live in the moment. If they go off on some fantastical experience they thought they had, if they're detached from reality, go with them. You know, don't correct the person with Alzheimer's who keeps forgetting something. Mm. That's that's going to happen. I mean, it's time to correct. You know, it's time to trying to correct someone who has a tumor and saying, you know, your tumor shouldn't be growing. You know, the, the, the person with the disease can't control that. And so if you stick with your, I mean, I found with my mom, it was just, if, if she said something off the wall, I accepted it as how she was experiencing reality at that moment. And I would try to experience it with mm -hmm. her rather than to fight for her against fighting a battle that she's not going to win. I'm certainly not going to win. The, wow. the big lessons of the book um, a journey of faith. The big lessons of the book were Alzheimer's destroys everything except love. The last word my mother spoke mm. to me after she hadn't spoken for a long time. And I, 
I was with her and she was close to death and I felt compelled, you know, I said, you know, it's a terrible thing to do to unburden yourself on someone who's dying in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I apologized for all of the terrible things I put her through, you know, and I was not an easy kid. Mm. And, you know, um, and I and I, I told her, I, no matter what, I, I always loved her, and I knew she loved me. And mm. suddenly, she spoke one last word, and that was the word love. And hmm. I, I think that Alzheimer's cannot destroy love because it's not just a function of our bodies to love, even though love is physical. You know, wow. we we think about love. All the time, we, we think about it a lot, you know. You know, but but love is a state of being. You know, we love the scent of a rose, but but the scent is not the rose itself, and um, and love is not what we think of it or how we experience it, which is emotionally. It is a state of being. It is indestructible. I think, as mm-hmm. is faith, since faith is based in love. And my mother's faith. You know, at the end, I mean, she could still say her prayers very close to the end. She could still remember hymns. You know, she could forget everything else, but if she always showed up for the prayer group at her memory care. Um, and she remembered Bible verses. She remembered hymns. It was amazing because that was like the one thing that Alzheimer's couldn't destroy. Faith exists outside of, 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 of the brain in that state of consciousness that doesn't get destroyed mm-hmm. by Alzheimer's. So, wow. so those are the real journey. Wow. That's, that's where I learned, that's where I ended up, that you live in the present because that's where faith and love are, and faith and love are not, they're indestructible. Mm. Wow. Wow. Man. You know, um, Edward, I'm, I almost don't want to ask you this question, one, because I know it's very fresh in your life. I know you've talked, um, you've written about it, you've been open about it. But but also, I feel like we're closing one story loop and opening up another one right now. But mm-hmm. you've recently just experienced the loss of your wife, Julie, uh, just over a year ago, lost by by suicide. And right. I know that there are a lot of people who are listening to this and they've experienced that as well. And that's a well, such a difficult know, loss to wrestle through. Yes, and I heard about it a lot and I never thought it would happen to me, really. I mean, even hmm. even though Julie... You know, she did talk about it. And then Julie, you know, she had, I met her, you know, both, we both struggled with addiction. That's how we met in a 12-step group so many years ago. Um, or one of the places we met. We met before that, but then we sort of recognized each other in a 12-step group. And she struggled with addiction as well throughout most of her life on and off. And um, she also had a disease called lupus, which was taking... You know, a real toll on her, and she talked yeah. about ending her life, and not in that kind of wild, impulsive way. But she talked about it in a way that she had come to peace some way with with God for that. None of that, none of that really mitigates the actual shock of having it happen to you. And yeah. you know, the words are so weird. You know, we're, human beings are weird. You know, because one of the first mm. feelings I had when when Julie did take her life was shame. And mm. you can't have that. Shame is so destructive. It's one of the most oh. destructive feelings we have, but we're so accustomed to it. And so it's such an, a default position for human beings, at least for me. You know, I felt shame. And, and you know, it was, it was interesting the next day, the day after she died, 
um, the New York Times called. They were wanted to write the lead obituary on Julie. Julie was a, a singer and an actress, and had mm-hmm. a, a very interesting career. So, and the New York, you know, the New York Times said, you know, we we read that she had suffered from lupus. She had said on her website that she was felt that she was at the end stages of lupus and was beginning to have a hard time walking and so forth. And they and the the writer for the Times said, you know, was that her cause of death? And I paused for a long time, mm. and I thought, no, really, it wasn't. She didn't, you know. And you know, she. I, I said to him, no, she took her life. She she hanged herself. Mm. Well, we don't have to put that in the obituary. And I thought, you know, so many people read the New York Times obituaries because they're the, they're they're very, yeah. you know, they can be very moving. You know, I, I read yeah. the obituaries not to find out who died, but to find out who lived. And mm. I thought, you know, Julie's brother had committed suicide almost to the day that she, 10 years before she did. And there were a number of suicides in her family. It does run in families or can run in families. Mm. And I thought how upset she was when in her brother's small town obituary back in Iowa, you know, they didn't mention his cause of death. There was like shame around that. And so I said to the to the obit writer for the Times, "No, I, I want you. I think I want you. I think I want you to say that she died by her own hand, because there are so many p- families and people suffering from that, suffering from that shame. You know mm-hmm. that, and you know, suicide is 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 the end product of of a disease as much as any other." form of death that's caused by mm. disease. In, in Julie's case, it was a, a lifelong struggle with depression, her worsening lupus. And I want to believe that she had made peace with God before she made that decision. Um, I really have to believe, I have to believe that. Mm. I, it's not a decision I, I could make my, for myself, but I'm not in that position either. So who am I to say I wouldn't do that? Who are any of us to say wow. that or to judge that? Um, and it's hard not to judge it. It's hard not to blame yourself for it as a, as a, mm. as a, like a secondary survival of suicide. Um, you react, I reacted, you know, like, how could you do this to me? How could you deprive me of, you know, we'd been married for like 37 years and mm. who is she to make the decision to end it like that? But those questions for me I mean, have been like, no, this is something, this was between Julia and God, and your acceptance of it or your healing from it is between you and God. But blaming Julie, blaming myself, you know, it just got me stuck for a while in a, in a really uncomfortable place spiritually and emotionally. Wow. And I had... That wow. just sort of said, like I'll, I'm going to heal from this, but it's not going to be on my time schedule, and it's not going to be easy. And I simply have to believe in that universal power of of God's healing presence in all of our lives, and I have to believe that that Julie is is with God. Um, I have to believe that that was a a decision she made based on on prayer and you know it's a it's a hard it's it's one of the great taboos of of human existence um suicide but it's mm. it happened and 
you know, my job isn't to go back and try to explain it or change it. My job is to accept it, accept that it happened, and accept my feelings as a result, you know, process that, process the guilt and the shame, process it through the system or as it gets stuck. You know, grief, I've found, you know, particularly since Julie's death, and I, and, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but grief can be the, the most selfish state. Mm. Grief can be incredibly selfish, and it almost by definition mm. has to be selfish because what you're really suffering is your own pain, you know, mm. and, and, and not... The other person, you know, that you miss the other person, but what you're, mm. but the real, you know, feelings you're having for yourself and your sense of loss, and that's natural. Even oh. if it's self-centered, it's still the natural feeling to 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 think about what that absence, that sense of loss means to you. That yeah. hole that has been left by that person's death, however they die. And you, mm. and you process that, those feelings, I mean, that's why I say it's, it's sort of a self-centered, even selfish thing, um, because you have to process all that. Or you get stuck in grief. We've all known people who, right. who simply never got over their grief, because right. I think because they got stuck in it, and they got trapped in mm. it. And, you know, I don't think that's oh. what Julie would have wanted for me. And she always said... You know, if, if, I mean, she talked about, she made jokes about suicide. It was hard not to talk about it because it, it permeated her family in so many ways. Mm. But um, she always said to me, and I, you know, I always sort of like, I did not blow her off, but I always sort of pushed the discussion aside. She'd, she'd say, you know, if I ever decide to end my life, you know, I want you to know it's not you or anybody else's fault. It's a decision I've made and that I'm at peace with it. So, mm. I remember those words, and, and I know that ultimately I'm supposed to be at peace. And that Julie's suffering from, from the lupus and the, the pain that she, physical pain that she was in and was getting worse and was intractable and pretty much untreatable. The emotional pain and, and depression, she'd had a really difficult childhood and had never completely healed from that. You know, I have to realize that she's been freed of all that. However, she chose. Mm to get free of it. And I, it goes back to that question of acceptance. You know, unless mm. we accept reality of what occurs in our lives, you know, you can't move on from that. You know, there are so many wow. traps along the way and, you know, they're all, those traps are there because of our, you know, acceptance, you know, get back to the question of trust. You, you, unless you trust, you can't accept. Unless you trust God, yeah then that act of acceptance is very, very difficult because it's a blind yeah. act and that's really yeah. scary. So True. so I'm still wow. healing from that process. I wish I could be more coherent about it, but I'm not. And that's okay that I'm incoherent when it comes to Julie's suicide. I, that's um, absolutely you know, okay it, and perfectly <laughs> acceptable. Yeah. I think that that's even some of the beauty, Edward, as you were sitting here talking about that and processing out loud. I, I think earlier you talked about this you know, this idea of telling writers that they need to be honest and that somehow in the honesty, we can all find ourselves in that. And right. somehow, as odd as this may sound, even in your wrestling right there, it, it's providing a lot of comfort for those of us who are listening to you wrestle because you're coming to a place where you're taking some of the things that don't seem to reconcile in your own heart and your own head 
and you're holding them out and and you're you're willing to embrace the two of them together even though they seem completely contrary. And there's something about that that really points us then to this whole idea of trust. Mm-hmm. That there is something bigger outside of us, beyond us, a higher power. We know his name is Jesus and that he can hold all of that and that eventually all of that can be mended and can be healed, may not be on this side of eternity, mm-hmm. but that right. he has an answer to all. He is the answer to all of that. He and, is the plan. Um, I mean, right. there's a plan. There's a divine plan for, for us as individuals and as Christians and as the human race. And um, Christ was was part of it, coming into our world for mm. thirty three years, and showing us the light. But the plan is still in action. I mean, we're still moving forward right. through God's future and through the Lord's right. future. And you know, you don't know where the plan is taking you. You know that mm. the end is redemption and 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 joy. Um, but it's right. it's a, it's the journey right now that we're on, and it's it, that's mm. what, that prepares us for that. Wow! And we need to well, be Edward, prepared because we are imperfect. We do. That's right. That's right. And um, one day, I believe wholeheartedly, we're going to look back and we're going to see all the meaning and purpose that has come of our lives. And I'm not saying that we have necessarily reason or explanation. It's not like it's going to one plus one equals two and it's going to make everything kind of nullified. And it's like, oh, that was worth it. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case, but there's going to be this this just sense of contentment and meaning that and beauty mm-hmm. within all of it that we are, that we're going to, um, that we're going to be able to, it's going to encapsulate our lives even, and, and as you've pointed out, especially in the valleys that we go through, the difficult right. things that we experience. Yeah. And um, man, I just appreciate you being extremely honest with us today and well, opening thank up your you heart for the opportunity. and giving us so much I mean, time, man. Oh, that's fine. I mean, to give me this opportunity to talk is also to give me an opportunity to continue on my own journey of healing. Um, yeah, that's right. So this 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 is as much you know for me as for any anyone else and I you know I, I say that knowing that it might sound selfish but healing can mm. be selfish you know yeah yeah you yeah. know in the it's sense so that we need to draw in all of the energy we can draw in all the love that indestructible force we need to gather it and draw it in so that we can heal um right. and this is this is part right. of the healing this time I spent wow. with you wow Well, thank you, Edward. I want to make sure that everybody who's watching this on YouTube or listening to this, you guys pick up a copy of A Journey of Faith, especially if you want to hear more from Edward and his stories. Um, Subtitle, A Mother's Alzheimer's, A Son's Love, and His Search for Answers. And then the other books that Edward has put out. um, You know, this is, I mean, this is just really, what I appreciate about you is that you're really thinking extremely, you're thinking deeply and honestly about these things. And like you said, a lot of Christian writers that we kind of put out, really pithy theological concepts and very trite phrases. And I, I'm just really appreciative of the deep wrestling that you're doing and that you're inviting us into to wrestle in our own in our own pain. And so I know that your book is going to do that even further for us. I, if it helps one person, it'll, it'll justify writing it. And you can, you can get your book at um, shopguideposts, one word, dot org. Um, 
And there are two free gifts that come with the, the book if you order it through Guidepost. One is a video collection of little anecdotes that I've told about 90 seconds. There's 10 of them. Mm. And you also get a, 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 a new book of my... Uh, a new pamphlet of my um, devotions, which I which I write. Mm. I've been writing for a long time. Or you can just get the book through Amazon. That's awesome. But you don't get the free awesome. we'll premiums a, for that. That's right. We'll put a link right there. We'll make sure that we link the guidepost link right here under this YouTube video as well okay. as on the show notes for all the podcast platforms. Right. So make yeah. sure you follow that. Get the Get the free premium offers there. But Edward, yeah. thank you so much for spending time with us, oh. man. This has just been incredible. Thank you, Davey. I really, really, really appreciate it. And God bless you for what you're doing. Mm. And I, you. I want to pray. I, I definitely will pray. I'll put on my prayer list um, the woman, because I can't get her out of my head, that woman who called you about her early onset Alzheimer's. I will pray for her. Well, Amy, what'd you think? It's a great conversation, huh? It was, and he was so vulnerable, and yeah. so it's especially there at the end, talking about, about his wife that's so fresh, um, mm-hmm. of losing his wife, um, I think he said about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and just he, yeah, I love that he was willing to go in places that we need to hear about it, and, right. and even him talking about the power of story, and um, and it makes sense that he would be somewhere like Guidepost that champions that and sees yep. the benefit and the power of it. Um, but he did talk a lot about where healing begins, and like in yeah. um, the mind particularly. Um, and it just I couldn't help but think of um, the the verse in Romans twelve where it talks about the renewing of your mind, and yep. verse like Second Corinthians ten where it talks about. Um, taking every thought captive. And especially as a mom, like I think about what's going in my kids' minds, but even my own mind, it's like, am I doing something intentional where it's going to lead to healing and hope and releasing the trauma and those kinds of things. So that's that's where I was kind of, the things I pulled away from the episode. That's right. It's amazing to me just how impactful the battle in your mind is on every aspect of your life. So true. Every aspect of your life. I mean, we talk about it so much in the Pain to Purpose course. We bring up that Romans 12 verse right there that this is probably one of the most direct references to uh, neuropsychology, mm-hmm. right? Where Paul's he's talking about this idea of renewing the mind. And mm-hmm. what we've discovered now is that there is actually rewriting in yes. your neural pathways that has to take place after you've experienced trauma, that there is some embedded quite literally it's embedded trauma it mm-hmm. actually produces certain grooves that create mindsets or false beliefs in mm-hmm. in our psyche and what's really fascinating you know i've mentioned this book before amy i think it's a great reference for people but timothy jennings wrote a book um called uh the god-shaped brain okay and he talks about that when people encounter the god of the bible mm right? Like the true God for who he really is. As we're discovering more and more the love of God, particularly, and what it does to heal our trauma, but also how it actually physically rewrites the neural pathways in our brain. It's amazing. And so he's studied this as a neuropsychologist and counselor as he helps to 
unravel and kind of in some ways deconstruct people's preconceived notions of God and then Mm. reconstruct it with the biblical view of the Bible or the biblical view of God, then he's, he's seeing people be healed from a lot of uh, mental ailments, especially. And so it's just a fascinating thing that like Mm -hmm. scripture really speaks to that. But, you know, we talk, we talk quite a bit about this, what, what you focus on in life, you know, Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Uh whatever is, what you focus on, you're going to find. That's the thing that you're going to, I mean, I know this when it comes to, I mean, everybody, anybody who's married, you can, you know, (laughs) or with your kids or like when you're around the same people all the time under one roof, you can focus on all the negative things that they do. Mm -hmm. And you're going to constantly discover those negative things. You're going to build a case of evidence toward those negative things. If you've created this narrative in your mind, but if you focus on the good attributes, the positive things, those things tend to grow. It's amazing what happens right here in between our ears and how it impacts every area of our life. It affects too, like if you think about it, if and if you if you hear about, you know, from your childhood, someone has said something about you and it sticks with you and then you hear it, it's reinforced throughout your life. That's mm-hmm. a kind of a groove in your brain of it's like exactly this is right. who you are. And so then you're like living that out of like, well, I'm a failure, I can't achieve, yeah. I'm this, I'm that. And so it it takes I guess the language is rewiring, rewriting, but it really is that removal of the lie and replacing it Mm. with truth, right? Mm. And so we can talk about it in a neuroscience way that it goes right along with what God wants to do. If you can call it like, you know, we can go to therapy, we can go to counseling, we can do the Painted Purpose course, we can find a, a coach. All of those things, but the point is that our, we are removing the lies that we believe about ourselves, about right. um, ourselves, about the Lord, about our community to then put in what is true. And then it's going to affect how we respond That's the right. next time something hits our life. And That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. I love the, um, you know, just that basic psychology of, we call it the ABCs of emotions, right? Mm. There's an activating event that that creates a consequent emotion. That's your A and that's your C. But what happens in between those two things is that activating event embeds some kind of a belief being inside of you. Totally. And we often try to um, uh, attack or address the A or the C. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to change our our environment or our, you know, the things that are going on around us. So we don't have the activating event. The problem with that is you're going to, you're going to feel triggered, so to speak. You're going to have some kind of an activation. So you can't hedge yourself from that always. Right. And then you've got these consequent emotions. And so people will try to deal with the emotions by numbing or building, you know, maladaptive coping mechanisms or, and you know, that's not a, uh, the pathway to a healthy and whole life either, right? No. And so we have to address exactly what you're saying. We have to address the beliefs. Yes. It's the beliefs by which everything that we take in, that we observe or that we absorb in life, it's it's through the beliefs then that everything is kind of um, how we interact and interface then with life from there. Totally. So we've yeah. got to we've got to exper- we've got to understand what it looks like to experience that kind of healing first in the mind, and then it's going to impact everything else. And there is definitely evidence, Amy, of um, even physical healing uh. that comes out of a um, that kind of is manifested out of a mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. 
Yeah. You know, the, the, the correlation I've seen a study before and I can't off the top of my head, I do not, I don't have that data in front of me, but the correlation between, you know, physical ailments that are, that correlate with the, or that are congruent with, for instance, harboring bitterness and resentment. Mm -hmm. It's amazing what happens when you harbor those kinds of, and you're not addressing those kinds of internal beliefs or internal emotional um, fragmentations, what it does to your, your body. Yeah. I've heard, I don't know if you've heard about this before. Um, I'm with a lot of moms of child loss. That's kind of my world mm-hmm. with wanting to help that population because it's my own story. Um, and I've even heard of people like literally being diagnosed with like broken heart syndrome. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yes. And, and I believe it's true. Like I, you know, because this, this, that season right after losing our son, I definitely walked through the the traditional, like everyone describes it as grief brain and lack right. of energy and the weight, the weight of grief is so heavy that it affects you physically. And again, the whole idea of the body keeps the score. Yeah. But even that idea of your the broken heart syndrome, it has, is not just an emotional thing you're walking through. It literally is affecting like blood pressure, your blood right. pressure. And like, it literally has physical connections. And so we're, we're all one being, right? Body, right. spirit, mind. Right. And so um, I just appreciated that you know, Edward kind of led us in that conversation of talking about the healing of the mind and and then the mind doing its work through yeah. us and and changing that the, our belief system to believe truths yeah. about who we are. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, um, as we kind of close the conversation, my my final thought on on the conversation with Edward, and this is a little bit of a pivot, but I referenced it earlier that it was a very sobering conversation. You know, Edward mm-hmm. was you could see him almost visibly wrestling with mortality. Yeah. And I think that's natural with, okay, as what, uh, you know, he helped his mom navigate this disease and recently lost his wife. And now he himself is, you know, he admits there's signs that he's seeing of like, am I, you know, am I prone to this same disease? I feel like I'm not, I feel like my mind's slipping sometimes, that kind of thing. And so he's wrestling with that. It's a very deep wrestling for him. And I don't know if I necessarily have very, um, very uh, uh, well thought out. Uh, application here on this, but I do think there is something that is very good for all of us to wrestle with that. To to just be reminded of the fact that life is a vapor. Yes. That we are here for a moment and then we are gone. Mm-hmm. And that this is not our final resting place. Mm-hmm. And the things that we're doing, the things that we're building, the things that we're investing in here, we have to ask the question, is it going to carry over into what's next? Mm-hmm. Because what's next is exceedingly greater <laughs> so much longer so mm. this is just a blip on the radar this right and, I, and so i find myself slipping so much into being tied to the things of this world tethered to earth yeah. that i forget so easy too. Mm-hmm. like but wrestling having that wrestling going you know what like and you <laughs> and i both you know when you lose somebody you know you losing hudson me losing amanda that you're 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 so, uh, it's like there's a very thin line, a thin veil between yes. heaven and earth. Yes. And uh, there's something bittersweet about that. Like I hate the fact that for us as human beings, it often takes that kind of loss mm-hmm. to really transport us to that place. Mm-hmm. But I love having that taste. Yeah. You know, and then having the expectation and anticipation, you know, of like, 
I can't wait yes. for that day. I can't wait for that day. And uh, I've had to wrestle with that a lot. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I, I was speaking with a, a sweet mama who's uh, lost her sweet boy, Brooks, mm. recently. And we were talking about that. And I was like, you know, I feel like some of the things I said, you can feel trite. You know, it can feel like, you know, heaven and he's whole and he's not hurting. And, but, um, you know, but it's real. Like that's yeah. the, like heaven is more real than what we are experiencing here. Yeah. But we think we're so smart that we think this, what we can touch and feel is what is real. Um, and even just the concept of faith of saying like, it will be sight and it is right. sight for those that we've loved who gone before us. So it isn't trite to right. to really dwell there and and really think about that. That is what is next and it yep. is eternal. It is yep. eternal. So. Yeah. Well, this coming Sunday, the release of this is going to be released on the 9th. This coming Sunday, I'm preaching at one of our partner churches, United on Heaven. Oh, wow. So we'll make sure that we, um, I'll let you know about that. Follow us on Instagram, follow me on Instagram, and we'll try to point you in the direction of where you can listen That's to that. Awesome. But I'm, I've been thinking about that a lot recently as I'm kind of preparing that the run up to that message, Amy. And I think mm. this conversation was really helpful just to get into that headspace too and think mm -hmm. about it. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation too, guys. Um, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening to this on one of your podcast platforms, we'd love for you to uh, rate and review. Apple Podcasts does a great job of providing a rating mm -hmm. system where as you give it a good rating, it begins to gain more exposure to other people so they can hear these incredible stories. And so mm -hmm. we'd love to invite you to do that. Subscribe on YouTube so you don't miss any content, but also share it. Share these mm -hmm. conversations and get it out there so that other people can can hear this. And we want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Speaking of Amy being kind of a utility player for our team, she also does a whole lot of stuff on Instagram <laughs> mm -hmm. and helping to manage a lot of that. And um, you are, you're like, what did somebody said the other day, Amy, you're the utility knife or the Swiss the, Army the, knife. The, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. The I like Swiss it. Army knife for our ministry. It's amazing. You're so multi-talented. Um, and uh, and so follow us there at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Amy on Instagram. Amy, where can we follow you? Uh, I think the best place is at This Wholehearted Life, and it has an underscore. It's the best place. At yeah. This Wholehearted Life with an underscore. Yeah. And um, and then we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can listen or download his music anywhere music can be streamed and downloaded. Remember, five steps to taking back your story. If you want to join us on that call, nothingiswaste.com slash start here. Next week, we've got a great conversation. Actually, Eric Shoemaker has a conversation with, don't you love the fact that we've got a lot of different people it's awesome. uh, doing interviews and different voices? And I think it's just really fun to have a whole group of people doing this. But Eric has a conversation with Doug McKelvey and Ned Bustard. And um, I have just recently been given a work that Doug did. I'm not gonna spoil not gonna spoil it. We'll talk <laughs> about it more next week. But here's a little clip from Eric's conversation with Doug and Ned. You know, the the ways in which um, since the publication of that book that that people have related to me how it has been meaningful and helpful to them mm -hmm. as they've had to walk through experiences of, of grief. I know that it would not have connected in those ways in many cases, apart from the labors of community, the mm -hmm. willingness of, of, of people who 
um, have suffered, who were suffering, their willingness to open a window to that, Mm. um, knowing that by doing so, they would serve others who would be walking that same path Mm. after them. Right. That it, that apart from those people walking alongside, um, and becoming a part of the process of creating Mm. this book, it, it would not have landed in the place that it needed to, you know, to Mm. resonate, uh, with the realities of, of, of those difficult seasons that, that people are walking through. Mm.